Welcome to Go Behind the Ballot, a podcast where two Texas moms go on an educational quest to demystify Texas politics. Join me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, as we deep dive into the most burning issues, hear stories from candidates, and offer hope in these challenging political times. Let's saddle up and go behind the ballot. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Go Behind the Ballot. I'm Claire Campos O'Neill. And I am Nicole Abshire. And we are eager to share this episode with you. Today, we speak with Nicole Golden, and she helps us dig into common sense gun reform. How would you frame this, Nicole? I would say that gun control, gun violence, gun issues. Yes. I think when I started talking to her, I was like, Nicole, you're here to tell us about guns, 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 guns. Like, I don't really know. So I might sound a little ridiculous in the beginning. Apologies. But Nicole is incredible. She works for Texas Gun Sense, and their organization is very much about putting forth common sense policies to find that middle ground between allowing people to be gun owners and also to allow us to live in a world where we don't feel constantly fearful of gun violence. And I think a lot of us feel that way. I'm going to say I feel that way. Yes, I think it's hard not to. And so what Nicole does such a good job of is explaining the places where there is common ground among most Texans, the places where we could look to some solutions, and their agenda isn't radical. And she really walks us through what some of these reforms would look like, could look like. Mm -hmm. Yes. She is such an expert in this field, saying just how we talk to people who are in the advocacy space. This is something that really grabbed her attention. And she shares with us that it started with Sandy Hook. And this is the work that she does. And we're so appreciative that she's there fighting this fight because we do need some changes to happen because gun violence is on the rise. So how do we help lower that and get it more under control? So Nicole does a great job giving us some solutions, explaining the lay of the land. So check out this episode. I think you're really going to like it. Hey, everybody. We are so excited to have Nicole Golden with us today. She is going to help us understand how guns work in Texas and gun control and gun sense. And she just knows so much about this area. And we want to understand what is going on with our state and the policies behind guns. So there we go. Hi, Nicole. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for being with us. I don't feel like I'm sounding very succinct, but that's okay. We have you here to help us make sense of this big issue, especially in our lovely, wonderful state that really likes its guns. So before we get into all of that wonderful information, can you tell us a little bit about you and your origin story and if you're from Texas and how you got to where you are now? Yeah, sure. So people love to assume I'm from New York. I kind of am, but not really. I haven't lived in New York since, well, I lived there as an adult for a couple of years, but my family moved to Texas when I was three. But I have a, I'm from the Northeast. I grew up in Dallas and I came to Austin for college for the most part, been here all those years since, give or take a little bit. So yeah, I was raised in Texas. All those formative years. Okay. I have to ask where in Dallas? In Richardson. No, me too. What high school? Pierce. Richardson, the oh, rivals. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It feels like another lifetime ago because I'm much more of an Austinite now. And oh, so yeah, same. yeah, but we have some family here and there, but I'm raising my kids here in Austin. Austin's home. I feel the Great. same. Mm -hmm. 
Well, good. So yeah, you've been around the state. Because we're a political podcast, we also like to know a little bit about what it was like growing up for you. Was your family political? Did you guys talk about political issues? I feel like we do more now, but also doesn't everybody? I think I knew my parents' values pretty clearly, whether it was specific to politics, I'm not sure, but it didn't really take over as many conversations, I feel like, as it does now. And my family, my parents are very passionate about their political beliefs. And so I think their values and beliefs came through. I think mine were set pretty early, but I wasn't really engaged or interested or active on them till I was well into my adult years. Was there like a specific thing that really turned you on to it or was it like a gradual process? Well, I mean, I think I definitely was always interested in issues and in being a member of society that's here to do good. I got my master's in social work when I was younger. And so I was going to do something, but that something turned into gun violence prevention only because of the way the Sandy Hook school shooting affected me. I didn't have a cause really before that. And then I look back now and I think, how did I not have a cause? How did I not have this cause? But sometimes it just, you don't know what you don't know. And sometimes there are pivotal moments that grab you and change the course of your life. And that's what happened for me. And so while there's a lot of issues I care about and I'm somewhat educated in, this is the one, this is the path I've chosen to really be, you know, dedicate my time and my career in life to. I can totally relate to that sense of once you are turned on, that light is turned on, that you kind of can't imagine what it was like before. I know. And you think, what could I have been thinking that I wasn't all along doing this, but that's just the way things work. And that was a traumatic event. And there was kind of like my life before that and my life after that. I mean, and I say that almost, I almost feel, I don't know, guilty saying that in a way because I didn't lose anybody personally. So I can just, it's like pales in comparison to the grief of actual survivors of that event and others, but it did definitely change the course of my life. I think that's actually so great though. I just, I want to say that it didn't take such a deeply personal loss in that way to be really animated by something that was so, so, so important. I mean, because goodness, if we all had to be that affected, that would be a really rough life. So. Yes. So can you tell us a little bit about your current work with Texas Gun Sense and how you found yourself with that organization. What was the lead up to that like? So I've told you a little bit about the lead up already and that you know that the Sandy Hook school shooting lit that fire in me and I became active in gun violence prevention at that point. And it's almost exactly 10 years. It's going to be 10 years here in December. And so I was parent of young kids at the time and a stay-at-home mom. I had a social work degree I wasn't using as a professional at that time. And so I was grief stricken. And when I kind of like got my bearings and decided maybe I'm going to look for something to do, I did like online searching like a lot of people do when they're kind of like, where do I get plugged in and what organization needs me? And I found a Facebook page that eventually became the organization Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America that most everybody knows about now because it's in a huge organization that's been really successful in this decade. And I became the, the Austin group leader of that group and grew at the time we were very small. So I was like one of those early, early people who just like grew this thing out of nothing kind of. And but I didn't do it alone. And so I did that for years. And so I knew Texas Gun Sense because we were the two main groups working on this issue. And we, you know, I'm here in Austin and so is the staff, was the staff of this organization. And so we would do a lot of partnership work at the legislature. And then some years went by and I continued to volunteer and I enjoyed that. 
and I learned a lot and I met a lot of people. And then at some point I decided to go back to work. I tried a couple other things and then really I veered a little bit away from doing gun violence prevention and I was like, it was pulling me back. So I took a position at this organization last year. I've only been here a little over a year and then the executive director not long after and I moved up. I was hired in the spring as the executive director. So I found my way really as a volunteer leader in the beginning to being a career advocate in this field. What's the mission of Texas Gun Sense? Texas Gun Sense advocates to prevent gun violence in Texas through education, partnerships, and policy change. Great. (laughs) Yes, can we do that? Okay, well, and we have talked about how we want to get into the meat of this conversation pretty quickly. Yeah, and so I... I think I've shared with you a little bit that I know that for me, mass shootings take up a lot of my emotional energy. They grab headlines, right? It's the thing I think that kind of stops us all in our tracks when they happen. And unfortunately, so often it's become such an epidemic. But I wondered, are mass shootings actually increasing in frequency the way that it feels? Do you know kind of statistically what's true there? I can tell you that in general, the gun violence rate has been increasing. So whether that's, but gun violence isn't, comes in many forms, right? So mass shootings are one form of gun violence, particularly traumatizing in a large scale form. And they, they put us in this position as a society where we're afraid to send our kids to school and we're afraid to go to the grocery store and we're afraid to go to a movie or a mall. They still do comprise a fairly small percentage of overall gun violence, but that doesn't take away from how horrific they are and how urgently we need to address them because no one wants to go on living like this. But when you look at gun violence by the numbers, and and like I said, overall, it has been escalating and it has been increasing here in Texas and across the country. There's like 45,000, I think, gun deaths now a year, over 100 Americans a day. That is definitely unique to our country. No peer nation experiences, anything like that. And then here in Texas, there are about there are a little over four thousand gun deaths a year, according to recent data, and and that is an increase from where it used to be more in the mid three thousands. A lot of those are firearm suicides. That is true in all states, with some variety in terms of specific numbers. Here in Texas, sixty or sixty plus percent of gun deaths every year are firearm suicides. Some populations are disproportionately impacted, like veterans. That's also pretty true across the country, but it's definitely includes Texas. And there are other groups that are impacted by daily gun violence in disproportionate ways, such as black and brown communities. We use the term community violence when we talk about that or interpersonal violence, you know, violence in communities in which people may know each other or live in the same community. And not all communities are experiencing that kind of daily barrage of gun violence in in the same way. There's domestic violence which is a crisis in and of itself. And here in Texas, guns are responsible for the majority of deaths through intimate partner violence. So there's a lot of ways we can break it down. And there's a lot of tactics we need to use to address it, whether that is suicide or whether that is community violence or domestic violence or mass shootings. And there's not a one size fits all solution, but certainly doing nothing isn't an option because it is indeed a, an urgent crisis. What are the, some of the things that are contributing to this increase in gun violence? So I certainly don't want to have anybody assume that I'm a researcher by education or that I have all all the answers as far as the whys. But I can just say that there's an enormous gun ownership 
rate in this country. There are many, many guns in circulation in the United States. And there are weak gun laws. That's, I think, pretty obvious. And they do vary from state to state. There are some restrictions at the federal level. There are some sort of base requirements for gun ownership and gun carry, but they're fairly minimal. For example, if someone is convicted of domestic abuse, they are considered a prohibit, excuse me, prohibited purchaser. But when you kind of get into some of the fine details, there's a lot more that I think we could do to keep guns out of dangerous hands and just have better oversight. And then when you get into states, then you really see real big differences in law. So like there are states that have done a great job bringing down their numbers of gun deaths and homicides and suicides through reasonable measures, common sense policies. There are states like ours that have unfortunately been pretty opposed to doing that and have instead gone the direction of further weakening our already pretty loose gun laws. And so, you know, all that's happening amidst an escalating crisis. And I think you can connect some of those dots. Well, so Nicole, can I kind of summarize what I think I'm hearing, which is that we obviously, we know where we live and we know what the laws are here. And so maybe we don't understand all of the underlying whys for the increase in gun violence, but we can certainly compare laws among different regions and kind of the level of gun violence that different places experience. And something that you can trace is that with some common sense gun restrictions, there is a reduction in the amount of gun violence. Yeah, that you're absolutely right. And states that have strengthened their gun laws have seen lower levels of gun violence and states with weaker laws are, are seeing higher. So there's, there's a just a straight line there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I just want to be like really clear. Like, we, you know, I feel like sometimes there's all this like pointing of it's mental health. It's, you know, all of these things and maybe so, but it also feels, and I don't, I maybe this is an assumption I need to check. It feels like we're not actually researching the validity of a lot of the claims that feels like are sometimes made very haphazardly. But the one thing that does sound like is clear is that with more restriction comes fewer deaths. Yeah, definitely. There's an argument for stronger gun laws bringing down deaths while being able to balance that with the right of responsible gun owners, should they choose to, you know, to own and carry firearms. There can there can be a balance. I believe and all advocates of this work believe that we can do both. And most Americans, I think, agree with that. And people that includes the Texas public as well. I'm just curious, and I had this thought as I was looking over the questions we had prepared. What is it like buying a gun in Texas today? Like, can you just walk us through what requirements actually are in place and which are no longer in place? Yeah. So, I mean, every state in Texas included has to follow rural requirements. And so there, like I mentioned earlier, there is a list of individuals who may not be able to purchase a gun if they were to walk into a gun store or to a gun dealer and and apply. And they would fail a background check, for example, if they had been convicted of domestic violence or under certain protective orders, had a felony record that's within a certain period of time, or, and in the mental health, this can get a little fuzzy, but it's not just anyone who is suffering from mental illness, but someone who has really experienced a crisis to the extent that they have been determined by a judge to be unable to safely purchase a gun. And so there's, and that's going to depend on case by case. But if that appears on someone's record, they would also be prohibited. If you under 21, you 
cannot purchase a handgun, but you can purchase a rifle. So 18-year-olds can purchase rifles, but you have to be 21 to purchase handguns. I think a lot of people don't quite understand why that is, but that's the case here in Texas. So if you go to a gun dealer, you have to undergo a background check. You have to wait a period, a short period of time. And if your background check comes through based on, you know, after kind of scanning those things I mentioned, then you can purchase firearm. But when you start to hear, I'm sure you hear of this a lot, people talk about loopholes. Well, what are loopholes? What they are is that only federally licensed dealers are required to run a background check. So anyone who's running, working at a, behind the counter at a gun store, that's going to include them. Or if you go to a gun show and the person selling is a federally licensed dealer, they have to run a background check no matter where they're selling it. But if you go to a gun show and a collector is selling, they are not federally required to run a background check. If you go online, for example, to there are websites like armslist.com that connect buyers to sellers privately, and you arrange with someone who's getting rid of their gun to meet them somewhere and make a purchase like a Craigslist purchase, they don't have to run a background check. Okay. And that's totally legal. They could do that. Yes. Legal loopholes. Yeah. And can I dig into you about background checks? Mm -hmm. I think I just want to wrap my mind around specifically, like, so there is some sort of, there's a system that you plug somebody's name into. Like, what is, what's that? So I want to make sure I'm telling you the right thing, but it is the, so it's through the FBI, it's the NICS or the NICS system. And when a federally licensed dealer takes someone's application, they run it through that system. Got it. But this is a federal system. Right. So any seller in any state is going to have to run a background check to scan for these things that are federally required. Now, some states, because their legislatures have decided to strengthen their gun laws, may have additional requirements. They may require a background check on every gun sale. Some states have closed their loopholes. So that goes back to what I was saying earlier about stronger gun laws have reduced gun deaths. That's been the case with states that have have closed in their loopholes. We in Texas, we don't have a legislature that supported closing loopholes here. So the only standard we have is what I just told you. And so closing loopholes would be things like? Requiring a background check on every gun sale. Okay, got it. So like person-to-person sales also have to include a background check. So if people were to connect through a private transfer, they would maybe need to meet at a gun store I'm playing out the scenario, have the background check run there before that transfer can be made, right? But here you could go to a parking lot and make that transfer and no check necessary. I'm thinking about this argument I hear a lot regarding things that if we put in more measures, bad people are still going to get guns anyway. What is the response to something like that? Yeah, that's heard that one for a lot of years. And I'm an honest advocate, and I will say that I wish we could prevent every shooting because every one gun death is one. We won't prevent every shooting, but we can put in reasonable measures to ensure that individuals with dangerous histories are not able to so easily access firearms and cause generations of trauma for Texas and families. And again, It's going back to what I said earlier, it is not a one size fits all. There are policies and measures at the community level we could put in to reduce firearm suicide and other measures we could put in to reduce mass shootings or school violence. So I feel like it all needs to be on the table. 
and that we all need to take part in being part of the solution. That includes mental health advocates, and that includes domestic violence advocates, and all the voices that we need to hear, responsible gun owners included. And so what's your starting place? What do we advocate for? Mm-hmm. What's number one? Well, so our mission is, as I said earlier, kind of threefold. So we work both on policy advocacy, we work on education, and we work in developing strategic collaborations and partnerships. And those are the three pillars of our advocacy. So starting with policy, and that's timely because the legislative session is coming up in January. There are policies we've supported for a long time that we we know we need here in Texas, whether we can see it become a reality now or later down the road, we still want to voice how important they are. And those would include background checks on every gun sale, like I spoke about, the legislature finally acting to do that, something most Texans support, initiating extreme risk protection orders. They're also called red flag laws quite often. So you might've heard them called that to temporarily and legally through a due process, separate someone from their firearm in cases in which lethal threats are being made with immediately lethal harm may occur to oneself or someone else. And there is access to a firearm safe storage education to just to prevent unintentional shootings, suicides, and, you know, other preventable guns. So those are some of the high level priorities that are long-term for us, but we're always looking to move the, way, the needle in smaller ways. And so we've broadened our work to include what other little small ways can we find to move the needle that can bring people together that maybe isn't so, I hate to say it, but contentious because we've had a hard time getting political consensus around a lot of the measures that I just mentioned to you. So we look at, can we move any budget riders through the legislature to get some funding for safe storage? We've been successful doing that before. We want to come back and try to do that again for an educational program. We are looking at some community-based initiatives that we can lift up that are outside of our legislative things like working in coalitions to veterans and gun owners to try to reduce firearm suicide, see if there are some ways we can expand voluntary storage opportunities for people in crisis. And so we're really looking at kind of creating opportunities that maybe are we have to get a little creative and we have to be very nimble in this work because we don't hold the political power at the moment to pass a broad sweep of gun reform policies at this time, unfortunately. We'll stay at it because they're important. And most Texans want to see those things move forward. Absolutely. I definitely want to talk more about the legislature and what's happened recently and what we think is going to happen in the future. But before that, I think we should lay a little bit of groundwork because when you talk about guns, inevitably the Second Amendment comes up. So can you just tell us what does the Second Amendment actually say, especially in regards to gun ownership in America? Mm -hmm. I mean, the Second Amendment does protect the right for responsible gun ownership. So individual citizens have the right to own a firearm privately. There is precedent for that constitutional right to be seen as a to be balanced with reasonable restrictions. Even Justice Scalia himself said years ago that that like many of our rights that are granted to us, there have to be some reasonable limitations in place. And so that's the way that we and many view view the Second Amendment, that we we can balance it, but with policies and measures that also ensure that guns aren't ending up in dangerous hands or ending up in places where they may not belong, sensitive places like schools or bars or just, again, reasonable. 
Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that we include things like training that we say you have the right. You have the right to own and purchase and keep a firearm, but it's so important to have training for your safety, for the safety of your community. Here in Texas at the last legislative session, we passed permitless carry and and so our long history of responsible gun ownership pretty trampled on through just removing the requirement to undergo just some basic like fire training, safety handling training in order to carry a loaded firearm in public in the state. And so we feel that that goes against that spirit of responsible gun ownership that most people were perfectly happy to have to take the steps to do, but now it's not required anymore. So can we talk about those common ground things? Because I know I indicated this in the the question list that we came up with, but it from the statistics that I could see, there is considerable common ground among all Texans, and it seems to be concentrated around the support of red flag laws, thorough background checks, and permitting, or you know, like having some sort of licensing. And so I guess I'm flummoxed. <laughs> is that the word? Like, why? Why can't we get there? Like, what's the yeah. disconnect? Like, yes. if everybody supports this, or the majority supports this, then why are we? Why does it feel so far? Yeah, from a reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's deeply disturbing. It can keep any of us awake at night. And just through the 10 years that I've been doing this work, I will tell you, and this is not, I'm not saying this because I'm a, a pessimist, but I'm just a pragmatist, but I have seen the issue, sadly, here at the legislature where I've been very active for a long time become even more contentious, even more difficult than already was. And that is really disappointing because we really always approach this work as common sense, common ground, bringing everybody together. Most Texans support this. Gun owners too, doesn't matter your political party. And that remains true. In fact, I think polls this summer after the wake of Uvalde were even, we are not losing public favor, that's for sure. And people are very distraught by what they're seeing happening, especially in Rob Elementary in May, I think that just hit everyone super hard, regardless of background. And the polls reflected that. There is a disconnect between what the public supports and the way that our lawmakers are voting on this issue. And why that is, I think, just frankly, because the gun lobby, which is a powerful group for years, had the goal and intention to systematically block every attempt to strengthen gun laws in every state and nationally, and also to water down our already subpar gun laws as well. And they, like I said, they hold a lot of power. They have relationships with lawmakers and the political landscape is what it is. And so we don't hold the political power right now. But the unfortunate thing is those who are making the decisions are not really making them on behalf of their constituents when it comes to this issue or maybe other issues. But I think our issue in particular has gotten really, really deeply wrapped up in an unfortunate political battle. So in your time working in the Texas legislature, have you seen anything that has broken through? I mean, I guess we can talk about in the past session how folks are allowed to carry guns now without a permit. Is that right? Am I saying that That's right? That's correct. There's no licensing required. There's no licensing. And and even like police forces were saying, we don't really, yeah, we don't like this potential law y'all want to put in place. Uvalde happened. I mean, there's so many things sort of pushing in your direction, the advocacy work you're doing, and yet we're still not seeing this common sense reform. Has anything broken through that you think would break through? Like 
here's one thing I have seen, what I have seen broken through is just a real swelling of support that in the earlier days of my advocacy wasn't there. People were a lot quieter, both people in the public, people we all know personally, there's even the ones that now have become very vocal and very outspoken for this cause were quieter in the beginning. There was sort of like whispers of support. So I think the advocacy that's been happening on the ground for so many years, just being unflinching and standing strong has really empowered our leaders to step out in front on this issue. So I want to like give a message of hope on just how much I've seen like change over the years in terms of the public dialogue and leaders being willing to put themselves out front and just people coming together around this in a way that you sometimes think is impossible, but then you have one-on-one conversations with someone and you realize how much common ground there really is. So I have real hope in that. As far as policy, which I think you were also asking, like, have we passed any good policies and do I see any good policies coming forward? There have certainly been some successes. You know, there were sessions where we were able to keep really harmful legislation from passing. The permitless carry law that did pass last session was also filed and fought hard by some groups in 2017 and 2019, and it wasn't successful at that time. So we took that as as a big win for our movement. We have seen some safe store, I mentioned this earlier, some safe storage funding. There's a statewide campaign called Keep Them Safe Texas. DPS is hosts that campaign. And we were able to work with, you know, allies at the legislature to get that funding, which is huge, really. And it's that's non-political. That's just education for our community to store your guns safely, to protect your children, to protect other children, to protect people who are struggling. And we find successes sometimes in strange ways, like Representative Goodwin, who I know you know, we worked with her to include an amendment in the permitless carry legislation, HB 1927, to direct the state to do some tracking of the impact of the legislation. And so that's a win. You have to really kind of like see what you can work in and say, we did what we could with what we had, and we'll build on that. That's so great. I mean, as we just finished an election, I think what what my brain is spinning on is how we're talking about the common ground amongst most citizens, but our government isn't taking action that reflects the will of most people. So it's, I know we don't have an election right now, but it's just another reminder how important it is that we exercise our voice and that we speak loudly at the polls in the ways that we can, because this is not reflective of the people of this state. No, and it's, it's a great, I consider it a great injustice, especially when you talk about an issue like gun violence that is just traumatizing our communities and our families to let it go unaddressed for political reasons. Seriously, I, I just think about myself, like after the shooting at the Walmart, where was that in El Paso? I remember going to a Walmart a few weeks after that. And I was like, someone could be in here with a gun right now. Like, I think that all the time now when I go to the grocery store, my son just started elementary school. And I've been very pro public education. I'm sending him there. But lots of other moms are like, what's the safety like? How are you going to make sure my kids protected? It's so like, ubiquitous. Like you cannot turn off these fearful thoughts and it feels like a communal trauma. And my goodness, like until we stop it. Well, that's the hardest thing. It feels like it's escalating. And the stopgap is like, where is it? Right. Like what's it going to take kind of. And let me let me speak to that first and say, I feel that way all the time. And it is an injustice and it's traumatized us all. On the positive side, 
I'm sure you all know that over the summer, the Senate approved the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, which is federal legislation, historic federal legislation to do some strengthening of, of our gun laws at the federal level. Did it do everything we would have liked it to do? No, that's how this works. But you should never just write something off just because you don't get everything that you wanted. That's one thing I've learned. I was able to go to the White House celebration with advocates and survivors from all around the country to just to commemorate that historic passage. That's really saying something because it had been 30 years since any real substantial federal legislation on gun violence prevention had passed. And so I really do think that's because A, people have had enough and it was just too much, but B, that just advocates have not stopped and became unignorable. And so I think we have to really build on our successes like that and just keep going. We appreciate your advocacy and the fact that this is something that you're working on and just doing it day after day, because like you said, it's that persistence that seems to be the key to getting some common sense reform, which we're all saying is what a lot of folks really want. Nicole, do you have any final thoughts before we move into our last lighter part of the show? <laughs> well, maybe how people can be informed or what they can do. What yes. They can do. Great. Yes. Great, great question. So uh, you can find our website, txgunsense.org. People can sign up to find out about volunteer opportunities. We have a blog for writers, people with personal experience in the issue. We're a small organization. So people, I never want people to underestimate the power of donating five bucks because it really does matter for small nonprofits who are trying to keep going and sustain the work. And I would also just say like, there's a lot of power in staying informed. I know sometimes it feels like that's not enough, but it really is. I think people are looking, are hungering for information on like, how do I have this conversation with my family at holidays? And how do I come ready with some facts to bust some of these myths that feel so like impossible? So go to our website, go to other great resources that are national, like Gifford's Law Center, for example, and just know that educating yourself and educating others really is powerful, even if it's just telling someone who owns a gun gently that, that you really hope they're storing it safely in a locked container. It could save a life. And so those conversations matter just as much as the big advocacy actions too. During the legislative session, we'd love for people to join us. We'll have a big community-wide advocacy day with our partners February 28th, and there'll be ways that people can plug in to volunteer, show up, all of that. Great. This is a quick plug for our newsletter listeners. In our newsletter, we provide our links and resources, so we'll make sure that we connect y'all with all of the great tips that Nicole's just shared. If you want to continue learning, and I know I do because, yeah, I want to be informed and know more. And then in the future, we can also make sure in the newsletter that we highlight the February 28th day. Day of action. Okay, so our last, well, we have a few minutes left. What we like to do to send off our guests is our attention mentions where we just mention something that has our attention and it doesn't have to be related to the work that you do. It's like a, a show we've seen or a book we've read or an experience, anything like that. So does anyone have anything that comes to mind? I do. What do you got? I'll jump in. Sometimes it helps, right, to just get started. <laughs> it feels a little obscure, but I just stumbled across this show called The Calling on Peacock. And I was riveted. So far, they only have one season. It's unclear if they're going to get a second. It was eight episodes. It's a, I do tend to be very attracted to these law and order type procedural shows. And it is a New York cop show with a twist. He's this Orthodox Jewish detective who integrates his spirituality in his... It's really interesting. I really was just into it. So The Calling on Peacock. 
Oh, cool. Thank you. And by the way, we put these in our newsletter too. So y'all can follow along. Nicole, how about you? I just a couple of nights ago watched the movie The Swimmer. It's on Netflix. It's a, it's based on a true story about these refugees from Syria, these two sisters. It was so good. It was like really like it was one of those where you you hear I know it sounds trite because you hear this said a lot, but it was like it showed like the human spirit, like how like strong it is. That's great. I love that. I haven't heard of that, so that's exciting. What'll happen with me in these attention mentions is Nicole will mention something great and then I'll watch it and I'll be like, Nicole, this is incredible. Well, same, right? Yeah, right, so I, gotcha. <laughs> both of those will go on my queue. And I'll just mention an experience I had recently. I went to Disney World with the family and I have young kids. I have like a two-year-old and almost two-year-old and five-year-old. And it was actually really great. I was worried we were going to have a tough tantrum-filled day, but they were delightful. We could ride pretty much all the rides as a family, which was really fun. And we did get the little Genie Plus pass to cut some of the lines, but it was a great day. It wasn't cheap, but I think it was worth it. So if you're thinking of Disney, do it. Great. It's so fun. <laughs> Glad you had fun. Yeah. Well, and her sister made very cute TikToks about it. So. <laughs> if y'all want to follow us. <laughs> spy on them. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you again, Nicole. I'm so glad you could help us understand more about what's going on regarding gun violence, specifically in Texas, and how we can help be more informed and be better advocates, because we definitely need to do something to help ease this up in our country. Yeah, sure. And I hope that everybody listening and you two both will just, you know, keep voicing your advocacy to leaders and everybody that you know, and we'll do it together. For sure. Yes, mm -hmm. we will be there and hopefully bring folks along with us. That's right. All right. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, for joining me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill on Go Behind the Ballot. Hopefully, we've demystified some little portion of Texas politics, and we hope that you'll do more with us. Check out our website at www.gobehindtheballot.com, where you'll find links to all of our social media, and you will find our community. Let's join together and do more. We hope you'll let us know what is working, and we hope you'll join us next week. Thanks, everybody, and have a good one.